Hello, and welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 52. Today, Brian and I are joined by Dr. John Weatherly of Johnson University. In season one, John discussed with us how we should look at the Gospel of Luke. In today's episode, we are discussing the passion narratives in the Gospels and what they reveal to us about Jesus. It is a great conversation. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We've also set up a Patreon account, so if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com, and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps as well. All right, let's jump right into our conversation with John Weatherly. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Brian, how's it going? It's going all right. I'm doing all right. It's a Good. rainy day here in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. it's uh, We had beautiful weather yesterday, but they're saying chance of thunderstorms today. So. Oh, gosh. We, you know, it's a good day, though. We have a guest in the bistro. Yes, we do. It's John Weatherly. He's a, re- he's a returning guest. We had him on before. Uh, yes. John, you probably don't know this. I guess you may now, but you probably don't know this. But uh, you are the number one leading, downloaded, and listened to episode that we've ever had on the on the podcast. That is so weird. That is so <laughs> weird. Well, okay. we're we're going to have you back. As as I said then, and that one, I'll encourage you. I'm not going to repeat all this because I want you guys to go back and listen to that first episode we had uh, Dr. Weatherly on, but. Uh, he was uh, my primary professor in my master's program, taught me a lot about Greek and how to read the New Testament, gave me a lot of uh, good insight, set me on a, a good direction. Whether or not I've always stayed on that path, I don't know, but he at least started me in the good direction. But uh, anyway, it's good to have John back. We had had you back last time uh, to talk about kind of an introduction mm-hmm. to Luke Acts, and it was really a useful thing. Uh, we're a little more specific this time, though, because we're we're approaching Easter as we're recording this, a very important time for us as Christians. And uh, so we thought we would have you talk a little bit about some of the passion narratives. But uh, we we talked about them before. You're an expert in Luke Acts, but but more specifically, you you did your uh, PhD thesis at the University of Aberdeen on uh, the Jewish responsibility of the cross in Luke Acts. And so uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's you, correct. Yeah, yeah, I did. So. Which is kind of a provocative title. Um, and, um, and was, 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 um, self-consciously so, um, I was, I was responding to a book that was arguing that the portrayal of responsibility for, well, it was arguing comprehensively that, uh, Luke Acts is anti-Semitic, that it was written to say, uh, Jewish people are inherently bad. Gentiles are inherently superior. Uh, God loves Gentiles more than he loves Jews. Uh, kind of seeing this as sort of a, um, a very, very early impetus to what becomes uh, the, the anti-Semitism that's in, in Western culture that, of course, culminates in, right. in, uh, in the, the final solution and so forth. Right. But, but what I was looking at specifically to respond 
to that was, uh, does does Luke Acts say Jewish people as a group bear responsibility for the right. death of Jesus? And what I discovered is, no, it's really much more focused than that. Um, there's lots of discussion of, of Roman res- Roman engagement, right. Roman involvement in this. Of course, everybody knows who does the crucifying. You don't need to. So in the Greco, in the in the Roman Empire, the Rome does the crucifying. Everyone knows that. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, in terms of well, what about Jewish people? It's a it's a very specifically defined um, focus, which stands over against a lot of other things that right. exist in larger Jewish literature. Uh, it's yeah. it's the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. So a anyway, lot. that took me into a close reading of all of the Gospel Passion narratives. Right. And so that's why I think it'd be really interesting to hear what you have to say on that. The a lot, I'll just go ahead and add. Just a lot of our listeners may not realize this, but there's there's yeah. a lot of the books of the New Testament that that have this kind of uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, Accusation thrown against it. Gospel yes. of John, oh, yeah. which I'm, mm-hmm. which I'm very interested in. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, John a, is very big, very yeah. big in this club. Yeah. Well, yeah. You have this whole statement in in uh, of Jesus saying, you know, you are of your father the devil, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, just mm-hmm. to to the to the quote unquote Jews, and so yeah. so that's uh, that's you know it's 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 one of those kind of areas that maybe you know in, as we're thinking about this in church we don't necessarily notice very often, but it's something oh, that we talk so true. That's it's, so true, and I say to my students all the time, please watch your language, and, right. I'm, and I'm talking about this kind of thing. If you right. want to, ha- if you want to make friends uh, with your Jewish neighbors and coworkers, please don't talk this way. Right. You know, um, and and uh, I un- understand that a Jewish person can use the word Jew in a way that you can't. Right. And that's that's true. Very much with 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 due allowance for the passage of time. Very much what's happening in the New Testament, as I know you right. appreciate. Right. Well, as I as I mentioned, that's you know. So your expertise there is really the reason we we thought it would be good to talk mm-hmm. to you as we're approaching Easter. So I, I you know you talked about the close ring of the passion narratives. I thought we might start just by talking about what do we mean when we say passion narrative, or how do you define a yeah. passion narrative? Yeah, yeah, that that's that's a great question. Um, because I, I always I always make sure that I I say this in class. Uh, with with students when we come to this point in a course that dis- discusses uh, the passion narratives, we call them the passion narratives not because we're saying Jesus has deep feeling about this. Now, obviously, he does. Right. But passion in English at this point is derived from a Latin expression which means suffering. Right. So this these are the specific narratives of Jesus' suffering and death. Uh, and, um, you know, if you've gone to the Passion Conference, uh, understand that the, the word is maybe being used, you know, with, with two different meetings there. I don't know. I haven't been to the Passion Conference. I, I suspect it's much more the strong feeling idea. Strong feelings are great, but here this is, this is how right. we're using the term. So we're talking about the, the events surrounding the, the suffering of Jesus and his yeah. crucifixion is specifically mm-hmm. the focus when we talk about the Passion narratives. And, and as you've you know, taught me, I know, and as you've mentioned before, that this is this is an important part of the Gospels as a whole. The Gospels, in a sense, are kind of focused on this idea of the Passion. Mm-hmm. So, what, what, yeah, would, yeah. what can you tell us about that? Well, you know, about a hundred years ago, um, a, a German scholar by the name of Martin de Balius described the, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as passion narratives with long introductions. Uh, and that's, that's very appropriate. Um, there's a kind of a domestication of Jesus in pop- popular culture, um, you know, and there are various ways that this happens. We could devote a whole episode to that, um, you know, wrong <laughs> Jesuses, um, you know, hippie Jesus and pacifist right. Jesus and get along, you know, can't we all get along Jesus and, and all of these kinds of things. Um, but um, um, the, uh, 
the gospels the gospels as books wouldn't exist the gospel wouldn't exist if jesus hadn't died right. by crucifixion in in the set of circumstances in which he did one of the kind of over on the critical scholarship side not the not the um, the popular culture side one of the the um, notions that took root in the 20th century in critical biblical scholarship was the idea that for example when paul preached the gospel he went into a place and declared i have god's good news jesus of nazareth uh, died on the cross for your sins and god raised him from the dead um, well, if you were to hear a message <laughs> like that, would you believe yeah. it or would you have questions? And of course right. you would have questions. It would be, who is this guy? Right. Especially and, in a context and, where Jesus is not widely known, right? Yeah, yeah he's not known at all. Yeah. And if he's crucified, he must be a criminal. So, you know, we know who crucified people are. They're right. losers. Right. You know, um, they're, 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 they're criminals. They're insurrectionists specifically. They're trying, and you're saying... A crucified guy is king. Well, I've got questions. I've got, <laughs> right. I've got big questions. And so you've got to tell the story so that you understand why this death isn't just another random act of cruelty done by an empire that does three random acts of cruelty every day before breakfast. Sure. Uh, and, um, and, and why, if there is this unthinkable resurrection of the dead, why it means something other than just a, a, a randomly inexplicable act uh, or some, you know, minor manifestation of a, of a minor tribal deity or something of that nature. Right. So, so in this respect, all of the Gospels are, um, so to speak, foreshadowing the death of Jesus uh, okay. from very, very early on. Uh, when you think, for example, I'll, I'll begin with Luke. When you think of the way that in the temples, uh, Simeon says uh, mm. to, to Mary, a right. sword will pierce your own soul. Well, you know, if you've read the end of the book, you understand what that's referring to. Right. Um, when you're reading Matthew's gospel, uh, Herod is uh, is trying to kill Jesus, and of course, he doesn't succeed. But you you see Jesus in peril in that, and then this sets up this kind of broader question: um, if Jesus dies at the end of the book, why why does he when God protected him at the beginning? Right. So obviously, uh. God is is you know protecting this guy. Why isn't he protected at the end? Right. Um, when you when we look at this, we see the, the temptation narrative differently. Um, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Right. Well, that's that's really calling on Jesus to use his divine authority to um, uh, to serve himself. And this right. is this is what he never does. Uh, Jesus' miraculous um, authority he exercises only on behalf of those who are in need. Uh, he doesn't, you know, when he's challenged to. Give a sign. Give a sign from heaven. Right. Um, he refuses to do that. Right. Now, the word sign in, in John's Gospels, very positive in the synoptics, it's always his opponents who are trying to get him to, you know, prove something. So he refuses that. But in, in saying, no, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he's reversing what Israel does in complaining to God and in, in making demands on God and so forth. And so you get what hear what is set up as a kind of a an opposite of of the uh, of the Exodus story, but an opposite of the the story in the garden as well. Adam and Eve lack divine authority, but grasp after it in rebellion right. against God to use it for themselves. Um, Jesus has divine authority, but doesn't right. use it for himself, and, it's, and it's instead submits to the care and protection of God the Father. So. It, the temptation narrative, and all all three temptations in Matthew and Luke, as they're enumerated, are really 
anti-crosses. They're right. ways of, huh. of Jesus coming to... Us. Yes, they're ways of Jesus coming into authority, into power in a way that is, is self-serving rather than self-giving and, and, and submissive right. to the Father. So we're thinking about this. We think about it when Jesus is asked um, uh, about um, uh, his eating with tax collectors and sinners. Right. And he says, or I'm sorry, not that one. It, it applies there too, but that's not, <laughs> that's not the one I meant. Um, it's, it's, it's the one that's right next to that in the synoptics. Um, why don't your disciples fast like John oh, the Baptist's right. disciples? Right. And like yeah. the Pharisees. Um, and the answer is, well, when the bridegroom is present, you don't fast, you feast. And Israel's bridegroom is Yahweh, is, is God himself. So Jesus is saying something there, right? But right. then he does this thing that doesn't fit Jewish wedding customs at all. Uh, the time will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Then they will fast. Right. Now... I read that, you read that, I, I know the end of the story, I understand he's talking about his death, but he's talking about it in this oblique, indirect way, as he does, that right. is memorable, but obscure and provocative, but kind of goes off like a time bomb, uh, I'm guessing sometime around mid-afternoon on Easter, uh, <laughs> right. you know, when a lot of people's heads are getting flat, right. going like this. And so forth. So, so you get sayings like that. Um, this generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it, but the sign of Jonah, which in Matthew right. then gets elaborated as as the Son of Man, or as as Jonah was three and days nights in the belly of of the thing that swims. I will say for those who want to say it's a fish. Um, um, so the the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the belly of the earth. Right. Um, all all of those kinds of things. Uh, so all of, all of this is all of this is preparation, foreshadowing, um, right? Yeah, and then and then you see this alongside of Jesus teaching with authority. You see this in, in, alongside his acting with authority, authority right. that belongs to God alone. So you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, uh, and um, and he um, you know commands the, the the man to walk, and so he does what what only God does. He forgives sins. Uh, he tells the storm to be quiet, which is exactly what Psalm one hundred seven says that, that right. Israel's God does for those those who go down to the sea in ships. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So you've talked about foreshadowing this point. Let's let's talk about then we when we get to the passion narrative itself. Mm -hmm. Then these these stories, as you said, surrounding yeah. suffering and, and Christ dying. Yeah. What what are the primary focus there? Do you think? Well, what are the what are the synoptic particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke is what we call the synoptic yeah. gospel. What are these yeah, yeah. gospels trying to tell us in particular? Do you well, think? Well, th there's a bunch of stuff. First of all, who's in trip? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, there's like eight roads that come together in one complicated intersection. Okay. Um, I don't know that there's eight, but let's let's count how many okay. there are. Okay? okay, and then later later we'll count how many we've left out. Play, play along at home, kids. So. Yeah, for for next for next year's Lenten podcast, we'll do all the things we missed in last right. year's Lenten podcast. Um, so so one of the things that's very prominent is the way that these narratives portray Jesus as completely aware of and in control of the circumstances. Right. So in the synoptics, there's a kind of a, a fulcrum, if we all remember our elementary school physics, or if we remember the seesaw uh, on the playground before the safety <laughs> people took it away. Um, uh, so so there's, a, there's a kind of a tipping point. Uh, and, and it is where Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ. Who do you say that I am? Um, you are the, the, the uh, you are the Christ, uh, the Son of the Living God. Matthew is the way we most of us remember that. Right. Um, uh, before that point, when Jesus speaks of his death, he does so infrequently and obliquely. Obliquely, right? 
Yeah, like like we were saying, um, you know, the bridegroom will be taken away. You get right. just a smattering of sayings like that. Immediately after Peter says this, and of course, in Matthew, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of right. Jonah. You say what God says. You know, you say what God says. Uh uh, Jesus says, you know, boys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be yeah. killed. Three days later, I'm going to rise. And Peter rebukes him. Right. And Jesus says, okay, I'm taking away your A, Satan. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, for, uh, you, you, could, you know, you say what God says. Right. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, then get behind me, Satan. Just, yeah. And we think, well, Dunderhead, he said he's the, you said he's the Christ. Right. Why are you arguing with him? And the answer would be, he said he's the Christ. You know, right. you don't rule by letting the bad guys kill you. You right. rule by kicking the bad guys until they stop doing bad things. Right. You know, uh, kings, Christ means king. Anointed one signifies the king. Christ means anointed one. Um, so you're the king. You can't die. And, of course, Jesus doubles down on this and says, if you want to be my follower, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So in the synoptics, you get multiple passion predictions, right. they're often called, right. where Jesus speaks explicitly, literally, about his death um, in a more and more elaborate way, always focused on Jerusalem, doctoral, doctoral thesis, um, <laughs> you know, always always focused on the Sanhedrin, the chief right. priests, the, 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 um, the elders, and the, the teachers of the law. Or the scribes, um, always, always implicitly or explicitly involving the Romans. If you're handing someone over to be crucified, we know who you're handing them you're over handing to. Handing over to somebody, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And and only only Rome does the crucifying. So all of this is here, and in various ways, we're hearing this um, uh, with with notes that the disciples don't understand. There's a place right. in Luke 18 where Luke says three different ways. You know, they didn't understand. It was hidden from them, and right. they didn't understand. Uh, they, they don't get it. You know, with all of the hard sayings Jesus is using, this is an easy one. It's right there, and, and they miss it because it makes no sense. Right. You know, it just it just does not compute. So, so when we see all of these kinds of things, this helps us understand then why when you get to what we typically mark as the beginning of the Passion narrative, which is Palm Sunday. Right. Jesus tells his disciples, go to such and such a place, You'll find the colt of a donkey. The keys are in it. Um, uh, take it. And and if right. anyone says uh, if it's a dodge, right? Ha ha. Right. Uh, and and if anyone if anyone says uh, why are you taking that? You just say the master needs it. Right. And they'll be cool. And so they go and it says and they found it just as he said. So this is this is again a foreshadowy kind of thing. If Jesus knows where the available donkeys are, right? How much more does he know what his enemies are plotting? Okay. Right. So, so then we, we 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 come to you know as we go, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He is hailed as king. Right. And every everyone is saying words from the hundred eighteenth Psalm. Psalm eighteen. One eighteen. Right. I think you guys did a thing on the Psalms of Ascent or something, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yes. We talked about Psalm 118 a little oh, bit, yeah. Okay, well, that's great. So so, so your listeners know about the Psalms of Ascent. Hosanna so and that this, kind of stuff, yeah. Hosanna, blessed is he. This is, this is the king entering the temple. Yep. And Jesus enters the temple, and of course he acts with kingly authority in what he does, and specifically says, you have made it a den of lestai in Greek, which yep. is signifies not just... Steal, people who steal things, but, but rebels, yeah. 
rebels are insurrectionists yeah. more specifically. Yeah. Um, it, when when Jesus is later crucified, he is crucified with two laced yeah. tie, two right. of these of these rebels. Again, not just even you know uh, guys who who uh, you know steal and then kill their victims. They are rebelling against Rome. This is why this is why they're being crucified. So, but he's saying you have made it a den of robbers, quoting Jeremiah chapter seven, where Jeremiah is using this to solve the riddle. Well, you know, is how is God going to let Jerusalem fall when His temple is here? That'll put God's name in disrepute. And Jeremiah says, "Ain't His temple anymore? Right. You've made it a den of robbers." Right. So this leads this leads then to the question um, the next day: By what authority do you do this? Well, first, Jesus famously refuses to answer because they won't say, you know, what they think about John the Baptist's authority. He puts them on the horns of a dilemma. But then, in characteristic Jesus fashion, after he says, I won't answer you, he answers, he answers them. them. And he answers them in characteristic Jesus fashion with a parable. And the parable is, in characteristic Jesus fashion, a parable that's rooted in the Old Testament but brings a twist to a familiar story. Right. So Isaiah had told a story about a vineyard. Vineyard, yeah. Uh, yeah, Isaiah 5, he strums his guitar and says, let me sing uh, for my <laughs> beloved the song of the vineyard. And it's a simple story. A man plants a vineyard that doesn't bear fruit. What's he going to do? He's going to rip it up and replant it. And so this is Isaiah saying, exile is coming because we, right. Israel is an unfruitful vineyard. As we've Jesus mentioned takes before, that. And we've, just for our listeners, yeah, we mentioned ahead. before, well, I'm just going to say vineyard you know, stands for Israel. I mean, that's a, that's a way to think about Israel. It's a, it's a symbolic yeah, way uh, yeah, to, it, to talk about yeah, Israel. It's, not every vineyard refers to Israel. Sometimes right. a vineyard is just a vineyard. Um, but uh, but uh, <laughs> to, to, yeah, quote, these, these, to quote Sigmund Freud, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, uh, and, 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 uh, but this, this vineyard has got a history. But the story that Jesus tells is focused yeah. not on the fruitfulness of the vineyard, but on the faithfulness of those who are its tenants. And they refuse to, to pay the rent. And so then the vineyard owner says, I will send my son. They right. will respect my son. And they see the son coming and say the stupidest thing that anyone says in the Bible, which is, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and the vineyard will be ours. Right. Okay. Just you know, just just like Darwin Awards kind of thing. <laughs> um, um, and, but and, and you're supposed to hear the stupidity in that. And then Jesus says to the crowd, oh, "So, what will What's the vineyard do? do with yeah. those guys?" And the answer is, "Well, get rid of them and give it to somebody else." Right. And then Jesus quotes, drum roll, the 118th Psalm. Right. The stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief stone. stone right? In the context of the psalm, that's Israel, and more, even more specifically, Israel's king, rejected by the builders, that is the Gentile nations, because Israel is a weak, insignificant nation that nobody cares about. Uh, but now he's saying, well, I am Israel's king, and I'm rejected by the builders, but maybe you, the leaders of the temple, the right. chief priests, the elders and the scribes, the Sanhedrin, the guys who run this show, the guys who have turned it into a den of robbers. Put two and two and two together, and you get six here. Um, and that is, who made it a den of robbers? The, guy who run, the guys who run the joint. How have they made it a den of robbers? They want to kill God's son. The rightful heir, right? The, yeah, the heir is here. Let's kill him. He's a rival to their authority. And so, and so they're ready to kill him. So all of this, you know, he's basically calling the shot before they attempt it, as it were. You know, so then, then we, we, we come into, there are, of course, other controversies there and so forth. 
uh, we come to the point where um, we, we begin, again, narrowing in, if we, if we begin the passion narrative a little bit later, um, it often comes with this story that we have in uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, interestingly, Luke yeah. doesn't have it, of, of Jesus anointing at Bethany, yeah. uh, where, where he says that, that uh, his, this anointing that Mary administers to him uh, is um, preparation for his burial. Burial. Um, and um, that he endorses this extravagant act in that way. Well, that story is closely connected then with Judas' agreement yep. uh, to, as we typically translate the term, betray Jesus. Um, hand the, him over, Greek, literally. Yeah. Literally hand him over. Very, very <laughs> common word used about 500 times in I, the New Testament. I learned that from somebody one time. I can't remember who. So. Did you? Did you? Yeah. yeah. Well, unlike most, you remembered. Okay. <laughs> And, and and you can decide whether that's a blessing or a curse. <laughs> or a curse, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes forgetfulness is a wonderful thing. <laughs> um, but uh, hand over. Uh, but years ago, I, I was reading um, the Damon Runyon um, Guys and Dolls stories. They're the basis for the Guys and Dolls musical. And on the side, I would say, when Lent is over and you can read something for fun again, listeners, um, <laughs> I, I, if you haven't read the Damon Runyon uh, guys and doll stories. You should read them. They're hilarious. Uh, but in the language of these these um, uh, mid-century Broadway gangsters in 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 New York, in these books, uh, Judas is going to finger Jesus. Oh, okay, yeah. Which means he's going to reveal where he is yeah. when he isn't in public and where he can be snatched. Right. Okay. So the dilemma of the of the Sanhedrin is uh, that they can't arrest Jesus publicly because he's popular with the crowds, and this will create a riot. Uh, and the, the worst outcome for the Sanhedrin is that the riot is going to lead to the Romans saying, we're done with you guys, we're going to get other guys. Um, so, so they don't want to risk that. They're going to wait till after Passover. Then Judas comes for whatever motive, and the Gospels don't comment on Judas' motive except to imply in the Gospel of John that he likes money. Right. Um, he goes and agrees to uh, to betray Jesus, that is, tell them where he is when he is away from the crowd. Now, the obvious place and time that you would be looking for would be the Passover feast. There is a night coming when the city is going to be shut down, the streets are going to be empty, everyone's going to be in a home observing the Passover feast after sundown. So right. it's dark, it's quiet, you know, and you're going to be able to pull this off. Uh, so what's interesting then is that when um, the question comes in the synoptics, um, where do you want us to prepare the Passover? Hmm. Jesus gives them this cloak and dagger um, ex explanation, <laughs> right. uh, and and it is that um, um, so go, so go into the city uh, and you're going to find a man carrying water. Right. Now, what's so unusual about that? It's a man. As we all water. know, <laughs> as we all know. I mean, as all true godly people know, it's women's work to carry water. You know, at least in the first century, in, at least in the first oh century boy. in Judea. We'll, 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 That's right. That um, we can we can do we can do we can do another another session we, on on the we, ways that we may need a trigger warning for this episode as well. So let's see. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, hey, your ideas of masculinity and femininity right. are largely culturally determined. Right. Okay. Anyway, oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, this this is this is this. 
This is an unusual thing. I, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. People are only, only going to listen to this point, and then they're going to turn it off, yeah. and then, then going to write to you, and they're going to block you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, yeah. But you're yeah, right. It, so it would be an unusual thing, something for them to point out to, to follow, right? Yeah. So. And, and so nobody knows where they're going till they get there. Right. The guys who are preparing the meal, let me add, the guys who are preparing the meal. <laughs> right. Are, are going to this destination unknown. Right. And then everyone else goes there because Jesus knows where it is too. Right. Well, how does he know? Well, he knows stuff. He knows right. stuff. He's, he's, he knew where the cult was parked. He knows where the, the Passover is going to be. He knows before he dies that he's going to die, and he knows how, and he knows who's going to do it. So we're in the, up, we're in the upper room. And, of course, here now we begin... This is especially where we begin layering the Old Testament onto the events. Not that we aren't always layering sure. the Old Testament onto the onto the events of of the of the Gospels, uh, but of course this is Passover, uh, and Passover is is uh, when we remember. The key word is remember right. uh, how God, with his, by His mighty hand defeated the Egyptians and, even more importantly, the gods of the Egyptians with the plagues. All of the plagues famously are, are targeted at things that are sacred to the Egyptians. Right. Um, and, and by his mighty hand, he brings this ragtag group of, of recalcitrant, stubborn, disobedient, <laughs> uh, enslaved people out of the greatest economic and military power of their region to date. Right. Um, and and so this is you know this is why uh, this is why we eat with our sandals on uh, our belt around our waist our staff in our hand and we're eating the same things that we bread. ate then right. uh, unleavened bread don't have time for it to rise yeah okay we're going through the drive through and we're going to eat in the car we are out of here <laughs> okay we are out of here uh, and and of course there's bitter herbs as well and then there are other things that are added by tradition all of which are supposed to remind us and of course the lamp. Uh, critically, the lamb, which is was sacrificed and the and the blood put on the on the doorposts, uh, as was done at that time. Now, the the remembering here then is remembering the victory of God on behalf of His helpless people, um, and and the way that God shows Himself to be the true God and defeats the evil empire in this. Right now, Matt, you know, and and I always compare the the significance of Passover uh, to uh, a Jewish person, probably in any point of history. I can't speak to that um, so much as, as to the Second Temple period, which I have a, a, a smattering of knowledge about. It, it Maybe we ought to think of it in terms of its social importance along the lines of Thanksgiving and the turkey at Thanksgiving. So if you can imagine somebody at your Thanksgiving celebration uh, standing up, pulling the drumstick <laughs> off, and saying, I want everybody to take a bite of this. From now on, this turkey is about me. <laughs> right. Okay. That's that's nuts. Yeah. You don't do that. No, dude, it's the pilgrims and right. and thanks, you know, and all it's not about you. What a narcissist. Uh, uh, you know, right. you just you just but this is this is essentially what Jesus does. Right. Okay? He takes the elements of Passover, uh, the bread which is you know, the unleavened bread is central to the thing. The cup is very traditional, um, sure. and has become a part of the tradition at this time. Three cups go around the table. As, as far as we know, uh, in this period, uh, with with a blessing, and so after that's done, Jesus takes the bread one more time, breaks it, and says, "This is my body broken for you." So we're getting Passover, 
uh, and Jesus is making it refer to himself, but he's also using imagery that suggests sacrifice in the temple. Right. Uh, an animal before it is placed on the altar is cut into pieces. Um, and so, you know, the breaking of the bread is like the, 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 the breaking of the, the body of the, um, of, of the sacrificial animal. And then the cup, he says, this is the, the blood which is poured out for you. The blood of a sacrificial victim is, is, is caught in a basin. And right. then as the sacrifice is placed on the altar, it's poured out in front of the altar. Leviticus uses this refrain, the life is in the blood, to say you should see this as a symbol of the life of the animal being given in place of the life of the guilty person. Right. So Jesus is, is layering Passover and, and sacrificial imagery together. So now, you know, now the remember is very different. Um, and this is, this is a memory like the Exodus. This isn't a memory like my sadness uh, over my dead relatives, for example. Right. Uh, because Jesus is not going to remain dead. Right. Um, and and I, I, I do, should I, uh, you know, imagine myself in this situation and experience the grief of the crucifixion, understanding that Jesus is dying for my sins? I'm fine with that. I want my Ukrainian flag to show. Um, I'm, fine, I'm fine with that. But the remembering of, of the Last Supper and of the Lord's Supper is remember like you remember the Exodus. God has raised his mighty hand and has brought right. his people out of captivity. And in doing that, he's defeated the evil empire. Right. Now, the irony of this is that he's going to defeat the evil empire by letting the evil empire crucify Jesus. Right. And crucifying is how Rome says, we're in charge. Right. We, we have authority. Uh, it's, how they put down, it's how they put down a rebellion or put down a... It know, is, right. it is. We have, <clears throat> Romans left very little discussion of crucifixion. Uh, we probably discuss execution much more than they did um, in, in terms of the extant literature. It's just not a polite topic for conversation. But there's a first century uh, Roman um, uh, orator named Quintilian who... Uh, yep. says whenever whenever we crucify people we always choose the most prominent places right because this this is done not because the punishment fits the crime but we do it to make an example yep so it's mm -hmm. a public display that you you can't get past Roman authority so that whole thing is that is being reversed here so there's there's triumph in what looks like the the darkest hour uh, this is this is God's victory he's he's taken the way we look at life and and, and turned it upside down in that respect right. So, so this is leading up to all this. I'm, I'm going to keep going here. That's right. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> you, you have, you have any, any questions, Ryan? Keep going. No, no it's good. No, I'm just I'm letting uh, it wash over the, me here. Uh, okay. Ooh, wash. Nice metaphor. <laughs> uh, the, uh, 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 you know, then we go to the garden. And in, in the midst of this, Jesus is saying, one of you will betray me. Right. Uh, I should, should mention that. And in the way that this is narrated, it's narrated very differently in each of the Gospels, but with enough overlap that we can say, yeah, it's a, it's a faithful memory of what went on in a complicated moment. Uh, no one thinks it's them. You know, um, it, the King James Version, is it I, doesn't quite capture what they ask. It's, it's really saying, it isn't me. It's, it's a, not me, it's is a, it, qu right. It's a yeah. question that anticipates a negative answer. Right. And when Judas asks that question, Jesus, um, you know, Jesus indicates that he knows what's going on. This this happens in in John, in in the Synoptics. Um, so so we see Jesus' knowledge there. In the Synoptics, uh, Jesus just says it's somebody who dipped in the bowl with me, which means it's just one of you. But along with this, he says, you know, all of you are going to fall away. 
Uh, but then Matthew and Mark, but afterwards, I will go before you to Galilee, and you will mm -hmm. see me there, which is just absolutely critical. Uh, and Peter, of course, says, well, not me. I'll die with you. Uh, and we know how that goes uh, as well. Um, that uh, before the rooster crows, and if you've been around poultry, you know that that's early and often, um, the, um, uh, you, will, you will deny me three times. So, you know, these, these classic stories that we know so well really fit into a very tightly woven narrative. Then does Jesus, where does Jesus go? He goes to, to the Mount of Olives, to an olive grove known as Gethsemane, uh, which we are told in a couple of the narratives is a place he frequents. Right. So if he's trying not to be found, he's made a bad move. If he's ready to be found, he's made a good move. Um, of course, he prays that the cup would pass from him. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Again, this is, this is an expression of Jesus' submission, which, which reminds me of the temptation narrative again. Right. Um, we shouldn't understand that Jesus, is, Jesus does not himself will to do this. Um, he has, in Luke, in, in chapter 9, verse 51, he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. Uh, this is also his will, but Jesus doesn't want to die any more than any other human does. Let me, let me say on, on the side here, I think it's very appropriate for us to avoid saying, well, this is the human side of Jesus. Jesus right. is all human. He's yeah. all human. He's also all divine, divine right. and one doesn't cancel the other. Uh, so to, to jump way over to Hebrews, you know, if he was tempted in every manner as we are, yeah. that means yeah, he has a similar reluctance, you know, to, to, to die. So then, of course, the disciples are sleeping, etc. And then Jesus says this crazy thing, um, arise, let us go. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. If we were reading any other story, that would sound like run away. Um, but Jesus goes towards those who are going to arrest him. Right. Um, of course, he knows what Judas is doing when he, by prearranged signal, kisses him. A kiss is a sign of a close familial relationship uh, or uh, something held between friends who are as close as, as brothers. Um, and, and Jesus reveals that he knows what's going on there. And then there's all kinds of hurly-burly. Um, <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, uh, Peter takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of the priest and Luke. Uh, very interesting. Okay, got to say this. Okay, this is going to get another group of people upset. Um, <laughs> in, in the upper room in Luke, Jesus says, remember when I sent you out and said, don't take a, don't yeah. take a, a sandals a or a staff. Yeah. Now you need a sword. Okay, this is not Jesus saying, I'm about to die to bring the story of God to its climax, but let me first of all endorse the Second Amendment. Okay. <laughs> That's not right. what's going on. Okay. Yes, I'm in favor of the Second Amendment. Okay. I am. But this is, don't quote that right. here, please. Because, okay, Peter pulls out his sword and yep. says, shall we use it? And he cuts off the guy's ear. And Jesus says, knucklehead, uh, heals the guy's ear. You know, if you live by the sword, you die, you by, die the by the sword. Don't yep. you know I've got 12 legions of angels and legion is a is a fun word because it's a Latin word here in a Greek yeah. text. He's using a Roman word to say these these guys got nothing on me. Now these this group of people these are probably temple guard soldiers. These are Jewish soldiers under the Sanhedrin. Uh, so so Jesus taken there in John's Gospel we've got this this fabulous uh, scene uh, depicted there. Jesus says, "Who do you seek?" And they say, "Jesus of Nazareth." And he says, 
I am. I am. Yeah. Typically, I am he in translation, but sure. it's just I am, which is a, a refrain in the Gospel of John where Jesus is, I won't say obliquely, but not loudly, but nevertheless clearly claiming claiming divine identity. Divinity, right. And these guys fall down. Uh, you know, he just knocks them over by saying, I am. And then the scene is repeated, and he says, you can take me if you let them go. Right. Uh, which is a kind of a prefiguring that his death is in place of their death, our right. death, uh, etc. So all of this stuff is is leading us in in a couple of directions. One is, as I said here, that that uh, that Jesus is in complete control of this. Along with this, the idea that that his his death as an experience uh, is just as as fearsome as anyone's death would be. His suffering is just as fearsome uh, as as anyone's suffering would be. Uh, but that he he remains in control with full knowledge through the whole situation. So we say his death is not his life is not taken from him, his life is given. He's not tricked. Right. He's not overwhelmed, etc. They think they're doing all of that. Um, he's he's showing something different uh, to all of that. And in this respect, he now he he now stands uh, very much alone. And then we're seeing how. Uh, Layers of the Old Testament are just being put on this right. story one after another. Just before you go into that, let me let me yeah. just go back just to just to reiterate, Please. make sure that yeah. that it, it's just made clear. Again, I'm going to make very clear what what you've you've said here, but the mm -hmm. the the timing and the the manner in which Jesus gives over his life is is of his own choosing. That all that stuff yeah, you said exactly, yeah, all that stuff yeah. you said before. He could get away with this if he, you know, he 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 wouldn't have yeah. to be arrested. He wouldn't have to, no. you know, he he knows how to. His knowledge is such that he can avoid the enemy when he wants to. The, avoid the people yeah. who are seeking his to knowledge kill and him. his power. Right. Yeah. He can, right. He can just knock people over. Right. But he <laughs> the does, word. He right. Use, yeah. yeah. And, but when he does it, it's just a demonstration to say, see what I could do. Sure. Yeah, he and so doesn't use his divine. Yeah. So the right. whole thing of laying his life down, you know, to use the Johannine phrase there, he's he yes. is the one who chooses to lay it down and then take it up again. So. Yeah. No yeah. one takes it. I lay yeah. it down. I take it up. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I so, just, yeah. just I just want to uh, make that clear. So yeah, we're gonna say right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I just thinking back to the thing about the him in the garden that the thing you're talking about is like it wasn't just this humanity that 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 he's fully human and fully divine yeah. and that the anguish there uh you know at least for i i mean i will say that i always think of it as his human side but you're you you see it as like it's both sides of this yeah sensing, yeah. sensing I, I always tell my students don't say side and don't right. say part because it's uh, oh. you know whether you're talking about the incarnation or the trinity um yeah you know the, uh, the and, way and, and that is it that isn't yeah. just a clean up your speech thing. It's um, important, and and it's important. It's important for us, partly so we embrace our own humanity fully. Sure. Um, you know, it is okay to be afraid to die. Yeah. Um, that's. I mean, is that a sign of weakness? Well, yes, it is. But humans are weak. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and and what does that do? Well, that drives you to rely yeah. on God. Oh, that was what I was supposed to do. You know. Well, what God also, didn't save me so I'd be strong. God saved me because I am weak. Weak, yeah. And, what I, what, and I remain weak, but but 
you know, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I'll just say not to belabor the point, but I will sometimes say when I'm, when I'm teaching through this or have someone say mm-hmm. something like that, well, this is his human side or whatever. I'll say, I, I don't know how, you know, when we think about Jesus as the, the divine human, I don't know a way to separate that. That, that is his, that is his nature. That's who he is. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so to try to divide that or to, to parse it or whatever, I think is, is to, to misunderstand what, what's going on here, that he's the true, yeah, it is. he's the yeah, he's truly, you know, to not not to quote quote creeds or anything. Obviously, we're not about that. But you know, he's he's you know truly God of God, and 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 he's truly fully man. You know, he he is both. Well, I'm 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 totally cool with quoting the creeds where they get it right, and this is one of those places. <laughs> right, um, right. They yeah. they say it, they say it better than I do. Yeah, I um you know, and and one of these days, you guys will have a historical a historic theologian. Uh, you know, somebody who does um, history right. of theology, uh, and they can talk about um, you know the the Chalcedonian sure. controversies and and how we get the Nestorians out of there and all of that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah yeah, it, it is it's more than just kind of academic theology. I think yeah. it really does affect the way we understand ourselves and our relationship yeah. with God. Yeah, yeah yeah, if we do this, yeah yeah good. So anyway, just to oh, go ahead, Brian, were you going to say something else there? And no, I was just going to say, I mean, that, that's good clarification. I always believed he was fully God and, and fully man at the same time. Sure. But there is, I think there is a, a tendency to want to like, oh, his frailty is only in his humanity, you know, like yeah. that we, we yeah. want to separate it out to understand it better. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. not easy from to our perspective. for sure. Yeah. 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 Now, yeah. So maybe pick up at this point, just, just kind of thinking about the general gist of the narrative. Um, the narratives of what we call Jesus' trials are very complicated uh, because yeah. Matthew and Mark show them in kind of the same way. Luke has his own variations, and John has his own variations. Right. Uh, but but there are themes that, that run run throughout these. Uh, one is that Jesus does nothing to make a defense. Um, that uh, when he speaks, which is rare, uh, what he says doesn't help his cause uh, whatsoever. Uh, right. Another is that that his accusers have nothing of which to accuse him, uh, which is which is of, of substance. Um, in, in yeah, the, Matthew in the synoptic, Matthew makes that very clear. I mean, he's Matthew says they couldn't yeah. find anyone, and finally they they find right. these people who are willing to say this this thing. Well, he yeah. said he would just, if we destroyed the temple, he'd rebuild it in three days, kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, and and then even they couldn't agree. Right, um, and so and so in the synoptics, you finally get this question. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And um, and Jesus responds in the affirmative. Now, now here, uh, I think, um, oh, that guy who wrote that thing, Daryl Bach, <laughs> um, a, a number of years ago, uh, wrote not one of the many books that he's written that people read, but one that is written for people who only read really weird books. Right. Um, uh, where he he points out that it isn't say agreeing to the proposition that he is the Christ the son of God that gets Jesus in trouble we need to understand that in a second temple Jewish context now this is not going to be the case post-resurrection for Christians but in a second temple Jewish context uh, and when we say second temple we mean in this in this period, this uh, period. A- after the exile uh, until yeah. until the destruction of the temple the New Testament era is, is essentially um, you don't Say you're at the right, or I'm sorry, uh, that uh, that Son of God is uh, is is another way of saying Israel's King. Right. So, are you the Christ, the Son of God? That's just saying. Do you think you're the promised King that God has sent? 
there are a lot of people, I mean, not hundreds, but there are maybe dozens of people over the, the period of, of the, the first century uh, who, who laid claim to that kind of thing. And, and not all of them attested to us, but, but you, can, you can put together a whole list from the Jewish literature that we have. And claiming that is not a crime. I mean, you know, in a later generation, one of the biggest rabbis uh, was, was famous for his endorsement of another person who claimed to be Messiah. Uh, which which uh, cause came came to naught. It's what Jesus says after this that is is going to be um, uh, worthy of condemnation in light of or in the eyes of, of the Sanhedrin or something that they think they can make stick. Uh, he says, uh, "You will see the Son of Man uh, at the right hand of God and coming right. on the clouds of heaven." Right hand of God, in particular, Daryl Bach points out, ain't nobody at the right hand of God in in Second Temple Jewish literature. Mm. Um, and so that's the divine claim, right? There. Right. Huh. Uh, and this is why then he has blasphemed. He has identified himself too closely with God. Uh, now, from here, and of course, is that blasphemy? It is if it's false. If it's false, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not if it's true. Right. Uh, so, so from there, the, the Sanhedrin doesn't have authority to, to execute. Now, later they will execute James, but that's, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, not James, but uh, Stephen. Um, but that's, that's a lynching. That's not a legal execution. Um, to do this legally, and they need legal cover because this is Passover, uh, they, need to, they need to get Roman cooperation. And so they need to make a charge before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And, of course, the Romans are not interested in a Jewish charge of blasphemy. And when they, right. when they try to raise that, Pilate says, well, go try him by your own laws. So they make the case that he is stirring up insurrection against Rome, claiming that he is, is Christ. One of the things that I, I try to get uh, folks to appreciate is that in the history of, of the Western Church's portrayal of Pilate, he's often portrayed as a kind of a philosopher, uh, you know, who is interested in, in matters of justice and so forth. This does not comport with what we know about Pilate <laughs> from historical documents. Historically. Uh, yeah, Josephus, uh, um, writing about uh, the Roman governance of, of Judea long after the temple has fallen, and wanting not to say anything negative about Rome, but still wanting to explain to Romans why the, the, the many of the Jewish people rebelled against Rome, AD 66 to 70, um, he wants to make the point that a lot of the Judean governors were just terrible uh, and, and, and provoked people in lots of ways. But Herod was the worst, as, as far as he's concerned, just brutal, um, insensitive in, in all kinds of ways. So as we're reading this and we see Pilate saying, oh, I don't want to do this, he's innocent. It's, it's, the historical Pilate is probably not you know, committed to, to, to justice. The historical Pilate just wants to stick his thumb in the eye of the Sanhedrin uh, because that's what he does. Uh, so, uh, you know, his, his and, and this comports well with the kind of cynical indifference of Pilate in, in John uh, when, uh, you know, Pilate asks, well, what is truth? What is truth, yeah. Uh, and, and, and so forth. Um, so in the end, Pilate is constrained by the, 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 the will of the crowd to have Jesus crucified. And here I think it's important to get some things in, in perspective historically. In literary terms, this is not especially important to the gospel writers, but in, in historically, we shouldn't necessarily think of this as the same crowd that calls 
uh, calls out uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sometimes we think of the fickleness of the crowd, and I'm sure there were people who were turned. I think it's fair to infer that for the Sanhedrin, they want to get Jesus in Roman hands early enough that he can look defeated and so uh, lose face and standing with the crowds that support him. Um, So all, all of that is very cogent. But when we think of how large this crowd is, they're in almost certainly in one of two venues. One is the Fortress of Antonia, which is adjacent to the temple. It's a Roman fortress that they built next to the temple. So they could get up on top of their tower and look over the wall of the temple and see right. what was going on in the sacred space that they weren't allowed to enter. Um, so imagine those guys up there with their binoculars watching you, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, the other space would be the courtyard of the Palace of Herod the Great, which had been appropriated by the Romans as the resident residence of the of the Roman governor when he was in in Jerusalem. Either of those places had courtyards, but those courtyards would only have been big enough to hold about six hundred people. Six hundred is not a lot, but if you are the Roman governor, you are in a sensitive situation. You're the occupying army. Uh, and you are in Jerusalem because it's full of, of pilgrims for the feast, and right. you have enough of a military force that you could put down a small demonstration, maybe, but not a big enough one that the size of your force is itself provocative uh, during these these holy days. I mean, those of us who lived through American military action in Afghanistan and Iraq know how military forces, however good intention they may be, just their presence is provocation, right? right? So imagine if you think that these guys are, are pagans uh, and are trying to take over the city of God. So he's got maybe a few hundred uh, soldiers. He's, at, he's at, the, at, at, at you know the cohort level and would need several thousand if this thing got out of hand. Right. So what he wants to avoid is, is rioting when the city is full of people and the passions are worked up. And so he accedes to what they're doing. But as the narrative continues, this is especially prominent in Luke, you realize not everyone is in favor of this. Jesus speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem who are weeping and beating their breasts. There are people who leave uh, the crucifixion scene in Luke in, in mourning. Um, the, the, the response to Jesus in the Gospels is, is always one of, of, of division. So in this as well, though, we've got something that I think is important, this trial with, with Pilate, and that is that Pilate multiple times says that Jesus is innocent. Um, and this is, this is important because, again, if you hear the story uh, of Jesus in a Roman context, well, he was crucified. Obviously, he was a criminal. Well, what would it mean to you if a Roman official, albeit right. a corrupt one, says he's innocent? Right. He crucifies him nevertheless. He doesn't care about justice, but he says he's innocent. He hasn't done anything worthy of death. We're, we're kind of clearing some ground here for the hearing of this. Message. And you're particularly talking about Luke here. And, you know, you mentioned earlier this idea of how this would fly in the Gentile world, how this, this idea of a crucified king would fly. Yeah. So it makes an important, an important part of that whole telling of the yeah. story, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when you read in first Corinthians, Paul says, uh, you know, the, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. This yeah. is it. Uh, from a Greek perspective, that's just dumb. Crucified people are losers. From a Jewish perspective, ah, yeah, stumbling block. God's king can't die. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's. Especially the in a cursed, in a way that's cursed in the Old Testament. The, the, yes, you know, the idea yes, hung on a tree. Yeah. Yeah, you have this notion, I think it's in Deuteronomy 27, but I could be wrong about that, that there were certain victims of stoning which uh, in, in Deuteronomy are supposed to then, after their bodies are to be impaled on a tree right. as a very gruesome public uh, uh, message. 
But in, in this Second Temple period, there are lots of people, and this is reflected in, in one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, who are interpreting that as, um, a, as crucifixion, that a crucifixion right. victim is under God's curse. Um, and in particular, this, de- this, this, this one of the scrolls even suggests that that is seen by, in some circles, as the appropriate punishment. Crucifixion is the appropriate punishment for those who have betrayed the nation of Israel. Hmm. So there may right. be even an impulse towards that in, in the reason right. why the, the Sanhedrin is seeking Jesus' death. By, by crucifixion. But I think, I think what is loud and clear is the Romans see crucifixion as the way that they show they have all the power, all the authority. Right. And essentially, God is saying, here's how I'm going to defeat the beastly kingdoms. The Son of Man in Daniel 7 is the one who defeats the beastly kingdoms. I'm going right. to defeat the beastly kingdoms by letting them do their worst to me, um, you know, in, in this way. Um, so, so when we get to the actual, the, what we technically think of as the mm-hmm. as the suffering and the and the crucifixion, and what what do we have yeah. here? What what do you notice yeah. here? That's yeah. Well, you know, I think I think there's there's a lot of things that could be said. We could do a seven last words uh, things, um, <laughs> right. which is which is always great. I love that stuff. Right. It's interesting to notice with that you've got three words in, in Luke, three Luke words in John, and only one in Matthew and Mark, right. which is the same one. Yeah. And there's no overlap. I, I mean, none are. Uh, except right. for the one in Matthew and Mark, uh, there's there's no sharing here. Um, hmm. So uh, uh, both Luke and John are uh, with the with the seven last or with their with their each of their three of the seven. Right. They're they're bringing two things together. One is um, is resonance of Jesus' death uh, with the Psalms, uh, hmm. and and the other is Jesus' confidence uh, in God. Uh, right. in, in his death. Uh, in, 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 Ma- in Matthew and Mark, it's just the Psalms, and it's the worst of the Psalms. It's Psalm right. 22. 22. One. Yeah. yeah, now here's, here's this, is, this is the way I often talk about this with my students. So, um, so just if, to, you might want to go ahead yeah, and tell them, are you going to tell them the, the line that, that Matthew and Mark share? It might be good to, so we can oh, start yeah, thinking yeah. about my it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken yeah. me? Yeah. So in, yeah. and and he, in Aramaic, you know, Elo Elo Lama Sabachthani's the you know that's yeah. what's misheard and misunderstood. Yeah, yeah and, and of course everybody's misunderstanding everything. You know, this is right. Him. So oh, he's calling on Elijah. You know, right? Let's see. Let's see if Elijah is here. Uh, so um, now, one of the ways I describe what's going on here is is to say, imagine that this is a movie, and there's a score. Right. And the score is music that you recognize. Right. So you could you could have the same film presentation of the death of Jesus and offer different interpretations of it depending on the music that's playing. Right. You know, you could play you could play Amazing Grace, uh, Nearer My God to Thee, or I don't I don't know. Or you could play It's the End of the World as I, as we know it and I feel fine. Right. Uh, and 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 you're applying you know that's that's the score is there to tell the audience what to think about what yeah, they see on the screen. How to, understand, how to interpret it, right? Yeah. yeah. So in the Gospels, you don't have a score, but you do have allusions and quotations to the familiar texts of the Old Testament. So one set of familiar texts is the Psalms of the Righteous Sufferer, or Psalms of Complaint. Uh, you know, I, I love the Bible because it tells us we can complain to God. And, um, <laughs> right. um, you know... Uh, the, the about twenty percent of the psalms are, are like this, and so several of these are quoted or alluded to. Psalm thirty-one, um, 
there's another one, but Psalm 22 is by far and away the most important. So much so that as Christians, we read that as a messianic prophecy and think of right. it as predictive. Well, it is a messianic prophecy, but not, and I suppose it is in the big picture predictive. But remember, you're singing this in the temple and in the synagogue, uh, and it's about you. You know, this, right. is, this is how you use this. This is the way you see your own suffering. So what, what, what all of these psalms are doing is saying, you, you see what's happening here. Jesus is suffering with the suffering righteous, as, as the, the righteous people of God, not that they're, you know, not the perfect people of God, but, but those who belong to God, uh, have always suffered in the world at the hands of evildoers. Right. Jesus is taking that on with himself, and that's something I, I think we don't always hear. The other big text here in, in the score, as it were, is Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And here's where we see what we think of as the penal substitutionary atonement, if I may use all of those terms, <laughs> and lose other listeners. No, no um, we've, we've had a whole—I was going to actually ask you about this. We had a, a whole episode on the atonement, but go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, all okay. the atonement theories are good, okay? They're right. like spokes out of a wheel, <laughs> right. but the hub is substitution, okay? Okay, all right. Um, and they, they all make sense if you start with that. If they don't, it's like, what? Anyway. But that's systematic theology. I'm, I'm practicing without a license. Um, in terms of the narrative, Isaiah 53 is all over this. Silent before his accusers. You know, we, we turned our faces from him. Um, uh, he, he's numbered with the criminals, yet with a rich man in his death. All of these. Again, we read this as prediction. It is. But this is also expressive of this idea in Isaiah. How is Israel going to be light to the nations when Israel is sinful? And right. the answer is, well, God will use one in Israel who is innocent, who, who will be rejected, but who will die for the sins of his enemies. Uh, and, and, and then God will give him his life back again. So this is, this is how, in, in the telling of the story, this is, this is all being narrated. And then we're seeing other stuff going on, like, like Jesus is being taunted, you know. He saved others, let him save himself. If you are the, the, the son of God... Um, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross, which is just like what the devil says back in the temptation. Right. Uh, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it because that's not how he, he rolls. And he can't <laughs> do what he's doing if he does that. He is right. the Christ, and that's why he won't come down. That's why he, that's, that's why he won't come down. And that's picked yeah. up in Psalm 22, too, as well. I mean, echo, echo of Psalm yes. 22. Yes, oh, yeah, the there. mocking. Yeah, the, sure. the mocking is there. They wag their heads. And, right. all, and, and, you know, one of the things I say to students— you know, if, if I were being crucified, would I care what's happening to my stylish zip-up cardigan? I don't think so. <laughs> right. Uh, yet, yet we're told they gamble for Jesus' clothing. Why are right. we told that? We're told that so what we, that's what we read in Psalm 22. 22, okay. yeah. Yeah, of all the, the crazy details to give, we're, we're given that one. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're given that one. One other thing, then, that, that I, I, I want to mention about this uh, and maybe we'll we should should we say something about the resurrection? Sure, maybe. Okay, I mean, that's important. actually a later episode. But yeah, go ahead if you want to. Okay, well, I'll, I'll make I'll, I'll make just two remarks about the resurrection. Okay, right. the thousands we'll, because we're probably we'll, fabulously over time. We'll make it like uh, like Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, where it's just a ver kind of an afterthought. You know, the resurrection is just kind of there tacked on. The <laughs> oh end, my so. god, he was hoping for a sequel. I don't think he got it. He was hoping for a sequel. Um, 
We should devote an episode to that movie sometime. Okay, that'd be interesting. What, yeah, that'd be what's, interesting. What's, what's 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 great about that movie and what's you know and how that right. movie is really brave Braveheart. Wrong. Beats. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I was going to um, ask before yeah. we started this episode where he, the Satan has got the little baby grown out of him. Like, was that in the Bible somewhere? Don't you remember this? Uh, I. Why do people okay. think I know what Satan looks like? I yeah, that, that's well, not. Yeah, but yes. I do like the snake image. Weird, I like the snake image. Weird scene in, in there. Oh, the snake. The, Snake yeah. was yes. snake was great. Yeah. So in Luke, um, you get this statement: "I will not eat, I will not drink until new with you in the kingdom." Now, to the numbskull disciples who don't understand what's going on, that sounds like tomorrow we feast in the kingdom, because there are there are seven days of of feasting following Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if the next time we have bread and cup, it's in God's kingdom. That's tomorrow, bro. Okay. Well, interestingly, even when Jesus is offered something to drink on the cross, he refuses it. Huh. Okay. Now, in Luke, when you get to the resurrection, where does he reveal himself to his disciples? At the, At table. the table. Emmaus. With the Luke bread. 24. Yeah. yeah. And then when he goes back to Jerusalem, they think it's a ghost. And he says, do you have anything to eat? Right. And they give him a fish. Interesting. Yeah. It. Okay, I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing of course I've got a hyperactive imagination, but I'm hearing I'm hearing a literary thing going on. Right. There. Okay, a way of linking that. Now the other thing again, because I'm a Lukeologist, Luke has Jesus saying to the two on the road to Emmaus and to the disciples, it is the entirety of Israel's scriptures yep. which are being fulfilled here. Okay. It isn't just the 450 messianic prophecies that we box up and check off. It's the entire story. And I think this, this way of, of thinking about it through the lens of these selected texts, how can that be the entire story? God has always done his thing through weakness and lowliness. His people are always weak and lowly. And now he has taken that on himself. He suffers with us. Um, God has always said, I will give the solution to your sin problem, and it's going to come through an atoning sacrifice. Right. Uh, and Isaiah is anticipating that. You know, Isaiah is kind of layering on Israel's vocation to bring light to the Gentiles with, with this, this, this idea together. And, and, and now all this is coming to fruition. So wherever right. I look in the Old Testament, I'm looking yep. at an epic story that is preparing for this preparing yeah. me for this. And now with this, God is taking his world back. Yeah. I just want to pick up on one thing, because we've talked about this before, and I just mm -hmm. I, I know what you're saying there when you talk about this vocation, Israel's vocation. You know, this is yeah. what God has always said, is his people are going to be are going to be yeah. the ones who, who are essentially his priests. They're going to be the intercessors yeah. between him and the yeah. rest of the world. And that's Israel yeah. in the Old Testament. Well, they fail. They fail mm -hmm. to do that. You know, they, they and become, God knows they're going to do that. It's just not a surprise. Right, a surprise. right. And they, yeah, you they know? fail to do this, but then, but then Jesus takes that up and, and fulfills it, does it correctly, yeah. does it, does it yeah. uh, the way it was supposed to be done, and then uh, empowers his followers to continue that work yeah. of, of that. Yeah, and exactly. so when we talk about that, that vocation, I know that I just wanted to clarify, that's your shorthand way of saying this idea of being the, the, the messengers mm -hmm. to the entire world of, of what God is yeah. doing and what God has done. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, one way of describing the, the dilemma of the Old Testament is how can the, the God of this little no-count tribe be, right. be the creator, creator and Lord yeah. Of the world, yeah. and the answer is he's taken his world back through them, and more specifically through one of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then through those who are, 
in his name empowered by by his spirit. Very cool. Yeah. So let me ask you, John, if if you mm-hmm. I, and that was there anything else you wanted to add just in your whole I mean, I mean I know you could don't, say more. Don't in, but... don't don't invite me, bro. I'll think of something. <laughs> it's good. It's all good stuff. Here's here's the very specific question. So if you were really it, for our listeners, just a couple of things. Easter Sunday's coming up. And as we're reflecting on the the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the death on the cross, the burial, the resurrection, what what are just what would you want to be primary and utmost in our minds as worshipers, as followers of Jesus? What what do you think is the the most okay. important thing that that we could take away? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll well, let's let's name six or seven important. Things. Okay. <laughs> I would I would. Why, why, why didn't it do two? Would, you could do six or seven. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. I would I would underline first of all this this. My, as, as I say sometimes to students who, who know grammar, uh, the, the two prepositions. Uh, he suffers with us, with us, he dies for us. Okay. Okay. With us, for us. Uh, I, I think we're, in, in most churches of my acquaintance, we're very familiar with the for us. I think sometimes we miss the with us. I think okay. some, some traditions other than the Protestant tradition are, are better with, with that side of things. Jesus knows what it is to hurt. Um, right. You know. Okay. Years years ago, I won't I won't go into the details, but I was in uh, uh, just a spontaneous service that was held because a member of a of a community of Christians uh, lost lost her baby in a terrible accident. Right. And the next day, a, a group of people gathered. I was in charge of putting the service together on the fly, and I said to to one of the women who were part of this group, could could you pray? She said, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, we need to hear a mother's voice today. Mm-hmm. And, and she did. And it was marvelous. And she began by saying, Lord, Lord, God, the father, we know that you know what it's like to lose a child. Huh. Um, right. So, you know, I, I just, I just think this is, this is huge. Right. Um, so su- suffers with us um, is, is important. Dies for us is it is is this is at the center of everything. Sure. Now, should this make us sad? Um, not for long, okay? Because the remembrance that we're called to is remembrance of God's victory, right? Uh, and the victory comes through through the whole thing. Uh, another here's a theme we didn't pick up on, and I've got a bunch of students saying, "I just took a midterm and I wrote an essay on this." Um, <laughs> Jesus' death is is depicted as his enthronement. Right. As well, John. Uh, for John, yeah. I mean, that's you know the oh, the, the John, lifting up is right. Yeah, yeah. the but lifting it's, up it's, is it's the It's in glory. all of them. Right. One true. on his right, one on his left. In Matthew yeah. and Mark, that was what James and John wanted. They see that right. as enthronement, and and that expression isn't used again until you get to the cross. Not an accident. That's very you interesting. Know, yeah, yeah do you want Jews, it now, boys? It's just, it's just laden. <laughs> yeah. James and John, yeah, how do you like yeah. it now? Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, can you drink of the cup? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we get all of that. So, um, uh, but 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 what, what we want to say about this, this is, this is God's victory. And so we embrace that, not only with an eye to the resurrection, but with an understanding that this is, since you've, Use the word vocation since you've explained the word vocation. Yeah. this is our vocation. Our right. vocation is to live in a similar um, posture of of lowliness and service towards others. Right. Carrying your own cross will not mean martyrdom for very many people. It will mean an awful lot of a lot of listening, a lot of giving, a lot of serving, a lot of putting yourself out right. in a, in a lot of big and small ways. 
uh, and and this is how the this is how the light of God uh, shows uh, in the world uh, in in that very real way. So I tell my students, you know, remember is like the remember of Passover. At your church where everybody's quiet and they play slow music, don't you go back as a sophomore and try to start the revolution all on one Sunday, okay? <laughs> um, but, 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 you know, if you want to look around and say, God, you know, God sent his son and he died for all of us and he was raised from the dead and his spirit lives in us and that makes me feel really good, you do it, man. Because right. that's appropriate to do when you observe the Lord's Supper. Right. That's good. I like that. Very so, good. well, thank you. Brian, do you have any questions or anything? Thank you. Yeah, no, I don't have any questions. I, I I love some of those connections that you were making between the Old Testament and the New Testament, yeah. and that imagery that is subtle, and you know, at least for us in our context, at least for me, you know, it's a subtle, yeah. these subtle connections and the interweaving of these narratives that we see throughout the Synoptics and John, um, that really paint this really yeah. rich picture of what's being accomplished. You know, and that yeah. Jesus is, you know, as you pointed out, that Jesus knows what he's stepping into. You know, he he knows where the donkey's parked. He knows where everything's happening. Uh, <laughs> he knows how this how this plays out, and he's stepping into it. But that doesn't mean, as he steps into it, that there isn't the anguish for him as as well, and all that. But that there is reason to celebrate for, in the resurrection. For all the literature people out there, it's all about plot, and it's all about intertextuality. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Very good. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Hope we have you back again thank sometime. You guys. It's it's always yeah. it's always a pleasure to have you at the bistro. So, yeah, thanks so much, I, John. I have a limited set of tricks, but we'll use them until we run out, and then we'll repeat them. <laughs> well, then we can get somebody else. But <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. And All we right. do we do Bye, uh, guys. Yeah, uh, it's it's good to talk to you, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again. All right. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com and find links there to follow us on social media. Next week, Brian and I are continuing our conversations about the crucifixion of Jesus. We will be discussing both the history and archaeology of it. We hope you'll join us for that. Thanks again for listening and sitting with us at the table in the bistro. We will be back Tuesday.